Welcome to the Insurance House Podcast. Introducing your host, Mike Fusco. Our team enjoys speaking to risk management and insurance professionals across the country. We will bring our audience unique insights on all things insurance. We look forward to delivering excellent information to our audience. Whether you're an insurance professional, a client, a partner, or someone breaking into the industry, we're glad you joined, and we hope to bring the best content to you. This is the Insurance House Podcast. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another segment on the Insurance House. My name is Mike. And Ray. And we're happy to have an excellent guest today from the world of risk management and loss control. Yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, Steve Thompson, who we have it on board today. Uh, we're glad to have him. Uh, been a long-term relationship of mine, uh, but uh, he's basically a wealth of knowledge in the world of risk management and safety. And uh, I'm sure he's going to tell us a, a ton of information, useful information in regards to safety, especially in the, these times right now. Yeah, I mean, there can't be a better time, I think, for companies to, you know, reimagine or revisit their loss control, their risk management plans, their safety plans. You know, as we get uh, into another unfortunate COVID spike here, you know, people moving to remote work, uh, people moving to, you know, potentially working at home with ergonomic situations, uh, continual uh, need for construction companies to make sure their employees are safe on the job. Of course, the restaurant and hospitality industries, Yeah, you know, having a, a brighter light shine on them. And just all other things that, you know, businesses have to worry about, unfortunately, even during a time when they have to worry about so much other stuff. Yeah, definitely. It's, I mean, it's uh, obviously in, in the world of loss control and risk management, we all think about companies that uh, are high risk construction and ha- ha- deal with hazardous materials. But with COVID, I mean, it opens up the Pandora's box where any business can be affected from a loss control and, uh, perspective. Absolutely. And even before COVID, yeah. you know, I think something that Steve will share with us and share with our audience that's something that we talk about a lot here uh, from an insurance perspective is even in the low hazard industries, you know, people that are working at an office, people that are in sales, uh, people that, you know, you may not think are subject to, uh, you know, workplace or worksite safety. They're going to learn a little bit today from Steve about that. Well, for sure. And then also, I mean, uh, I'm, uh, the advent of remote work, I mean, it's so prevalent these days because of COVID. There's a certain amount of risk in that as well. Yeah. So, you know, uh, we're glad to have Steve on today. He's the Senior Vice President of Aspen Risk Management. They're a TriStar company. They're located here in San Diego. They do do work uh, throughout California and throughout the country. Um, they have a great uh, footprint for risk management and loss prevention. And uh, we're really happy to have him on and for Steve to talk about a little bit about what he knows about the industry. Perfect. Yeah, so uh, we'll be back here in just a minute to introduce Steve and talk a little bit more on the insurance house. Stay tuned. Thanks for staying tuned here on the insurance house. Ray, what type of things do you... Do you think we'll talk to Steve about today? What type of things can the audience expect to hear from him? 
Well, I mean, uh, we as far as our audience is concerned, I mean, we have a mixture of, of, of people listening and watching our, our show. So we're going to initially drive down to what is loss control, for that matter, what is workplace safety, why is it so important. Uh, we'll touch a little bit about compliance. Obviously, we all have heard, I well, hope we've heard the term OSHA, Cal OSHA. Um, OSHA and Cal OSHA. Exactly. Two separate uh, mm-hmm. entities in themselves. And so we're going to touch base on that, how exactly Steve and his company gets involved, how they can help, um, and touch base on a variety of different uh, strategies that they do on behalf of their clients. Um, not only, and, and again, and I also want to touch base in regards to their company. I mean, they service companies that are small and national. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So for our audience and for our customers that are mostly, you know, we have insurance customers listening, you know, something that we talk about pretty often is, the insurance is going to stay behind you and it's going to be there to protect you and cover you should a claim situation or a loss situation yeah. get to them. But it's important that you have proper controls in place ahead of that or in front of that to ensure that the losses don't get to your insurance company. Because even though they're going to be there to protect you and take care of you, you don't want to have that on your record and have that on your ex- experience modifier yeah. or have safety uh, OSHA citations or anything of that nature. Yeah, I mean, these days, it's like, I'm sure you, I'm going to mention COVID again. I mean, but you hear a lot in media and, and elsewhere. It's a, you have to have a plan in place. So it's no different in business. You have to have a plan in place because at the end of the day, I mean, I'm a benefits broker by trade. Mike's a PNC broker by trade. At the end of the day, it's like insurance is the end result where they cover claims, whatnot, hopefully. Um but before that, you have to have a plan in place in order to protect yourself, whether it be from a health standpoint or whether it be from your business liability standpoint. Absolutely. And protect your, your staff. Protect exactly. Your, protect your employees. These people work hard. They 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 work for you. They you know, Their families rely on them for income. Uh, and it's, it's up to you to really provide a safe workplace for them and, you know, to, to build a company culture based on safety and uh, care. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Again, Steve Thompson from Aspen Risk Management will be here, and we're going to bring him on here to introduce him. And we thank you for joining us on the Insurance House. Thank you, everyone, for uh, joining us for another segment of the Insurance House. Today, we have a great guest on board. And I think uh, talking about this earlier, it couldn't come at a better time with Steve Thompson uh, of uh, Aspen Risk Management Group. Uh, He's very uh, seasoned in that arena, and we're glad to have him on board today. Mike, what are your thoughts We're having Steve on today? Yeah, thanks for joining, Steve. Uh, this is awesome. I mean, you know, with our client base and the people that watch the segment, you know, we have a lot of clients out there in construction. Uh, they have to pay close attention to their risk management protocols. Uh, of course, with COVID, you know, another unfortunate spike here with COVID, people kind of remo- uh, move into potential more remote work, but also employers having to pay close attention to how they're setting up their offices and their work environments. So great to have Steve on. Steve, thanks for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure, guys. Look forward to it. Yeah, before we get started here, if you could just give our audience a little uh, introduction to yourself, your background, you know, maybe your company and uh, what current role you you serve and the, off- the services you provide. Well, that's real easy, uh, Mike and Ray. Uh, it's it's simple because uh, Aspen Risk Management Group and Ergo Healthy were founded 16 years ago. Uh, with the with with one purpose in mind, our primary purpose is to save lives, prevent injuries and illnesses, and protect our clients from harm. 
we've got about 30 consultants throughout California. We also operate throughout the United States. We uh, work in most disciplines, uh, construction, nonprofits, you name it. And you're absolutely right, Mike. We've had uh, an enormous amount of restaurants, hospitality, supermarkets uh, that we're going out to see, especially right now as it relates to COVID. We've also been helping a lot of our clients transition to working from home. So you've got all the stuff that goes on like ergonomics and people, you know, working off their dining tables, working in that old, uh, you know, ch uh, chairs in the basement. Uh, all that stuff is, is sort of changed the world for workplace safety and loss control. It's a real pleasure to be here, guys. Yeah, Thank thanks you. for having us, Steve. I, I think that uh, something I failed to touch on earlier was, you know, the clients that we work with in restaurant hospitality. Yeah. I mean, that's got, it's got to be just for them, you know, to try to continuously adapt to what our leadership is telling us they have to do, then they don't have to do, then they have to do it again. Then, they, you know, ha if we can talk about that segment just before we talk about loss control in general, uh, Steve, what have you seen from restaurant? I mean, it's got to be so challenging for them. I, I just, you know, the amount of investment they've made in being safe and, and providing safety for not only their staff, but for their patrons. Uh, what are you seeing them doing at this point? Uh, great point, because it's, uh, if they're in California, the, the you know, the state issued a new set of uh, emergency orders, 180 days, it came out last Friday. And these orders are, are really, uh, they're, they're pretty extensive. Uh, we're actually working on a template for our clients, which is right now is about 22 pages. That tells you how complicated it is. It's a whole new policy called the WCCP, and it's basically the workplace COVID protection plan. That's what you have to have in place. And uh, restaurants and those that are in, you know, that are on those front lines trying to stay, you know, trying to stay in business. There's no doubt that it's been a struggle. I mean, I think you've seen it among your clients. So what they're doing is they're doing their best to comply. Uh, they're following all the uh, sanitation procedures. It's interesting when you talk to some of them, including supermarkets, the safety people at the larger groups will say something like, you know, actually, there's some good things coming from this, not from a business perspective, but from a sanitation perspective. They talk about how uh, they're, they're spending more time doing this, which if you talk to safety people, they would like to encourage better sanitation. It's not a, it's not certainly, it's not just an issue of sanitation, obviously. It's an issue of, of trying to, you know, there's two parts to public health. There's the economic piece, and then there's the, the actual safety piece, which has to do with the public health of people. And I think you've probably seen among your clients that the economic impact of this public health client, uh, this crisis is probably worse than the actual COVID crisis, meaning that employees being stricken with COVID or guests being stricken with COVID or otherwise, the real impact's been the economic, not the actual claims per se. But we have to pay attention to the, to the liability issues just as much because we've had so many new regulatory aspects here in California. So I think our, our groups are doing what they can They've developed, you know, temperature checks. They've developed, uh, you know, barriers, uh, simple barriers, even shower curtains between, uh, you know, seating locations, uh, plexiglass, all sorts yeah. of various innovative. If there's anything that comes out of this, guys, it's the innovation that I see among among our clients, putting things in place that, you know, are reasonably cost uh, effective 
um, it's it's just a challenge. What can what can we say about it? It's 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 difficult. But get a plan in place. That's number one. Get a pandemic plan in place. Get a WCCP plan in place, which is now required. And um, you know, do your best to stay within the parameters of of those policies and procedures: distancing, masks, sanitation, yeah, yeah. all the common stuff. Amazing. Yeah. Before yeah. Ray Ray asked you about just a big picture loss, what loss control really is. I wanted to ask, I saw something recently on a local news channel where, you know, a lot of restaurant owners, they went out and spent thousands of dollars on heaters. Yeah. Outdoor heaters. If they can find one actually. <laughs> yeah. You know, a big investment so that they can move their, their restaurants outside yeah. and do outside serve dining. And now they shut down outside dining. Exactly. So now all these, you know, these four people go out and they spend all this money on heaters and now they can't even use them. Or for that, crazy, matter, just building out. I mean, some of them yeah. have no existence of any sort of outside patio, and they yeah. invested all in that as well. The construction of that's that, crazy, that's man. for not. And like in certain areas, like Little Italy or the gas pump, I think you had to have. Oh yeah, an outdoor here in San Diego, Steve. I think which you know you had to have your outdoor area couldn't just be in the middle of the street. You know, you had to kind of spend money on ground cover and fencing and all this stuff. But anyway, it's well, just Mike, sad to bring- see. You bring up a great question. You bring up a great point, and there's a question that comes from that. And that is, there are a number of attorney firms and other safety folks out there that are, uh, they're profiting from this. Right. They're, they're developing these plans and they're selling them for 1,500, two grand, three grand, five grand, 10 grand to their clients. Um, I think one thing that differentiates us is we're creating these template plans and we're not taking this blood, we call it blood money. Yeah, you're stacking on already an industry right. that's been devastated. So right. that's why we're developing a plans, and we don't charge for them. We send our pandemic plans out to who needs them. That's awesome. should, that's you know, great. we can do some consulting. I mean, if they need us to come in for a couple of hours, we can. Obviously, we charge for that. But at the sure, end of, of the course. day, uh, we're in this thing, and we want these guys to survive. So, and by the way, we'll we'll. Um, once we get those plans developed, we'll send these out to you, uh, Mike and Ray, we'll, so you can post them and have them available for your clients and for anybody that you know uh, visits the pod, the uh, the webcast. That's awesome, Steve. Thanks so much. Yeah. Great. Thank you very much for that. Well, I mean, just uh, as Mike was indicating, from a general sense, uh, loss control means a lot of things. Um, the grand schemes based on you know what industry you're in, for that matter, it can mean different things. Risk management. I mean, in our world as insurance brokers, typically how do we cover loss control is by insurance, but we don't, we typically don't get involved with the actual planning and policies and procedures we have, we do to a certain extent. So I guess for our audience here, what is exactly loss control and why is it so important? Thanks, Ray. That's a great uh, question. And I think one of the things that comes up is I remember about 20 years ago taking a, a what they call an ARM class, which is your associate risk management. And for those of that have gone yeah. through it, uh, I particularly had a very old school loss control guy teaching the classes. And he, he forbid us from using the word insurance for the entire class period because <laughs> that is the end yeah. product or mm-hmm. service uh, to protect an organization. And what happens beforehand? Well, that's what you would consider loss control. And loss control is essentially, you know, uh, reducing or minimizing the possibility of a loss or reducing the severity of it. 
So it's really those two pieces, uh, at least from sort of the, the official definition. And it's what most companies are looking for us to do, which is to stop the losses from occurring or minimize them and then reduce the, the, the damage or the severity of those, those losses, whether it's through a return to work program for an injured worker or setting up new security procedures to, uh, you know, at a, at a gas station, you know, with more cameras uh, it's all going to be to reduce those two aspects, so, uh, frequency and severity. Hope that helps. Yeah, no, that's a great point, Steve. Because even, you know, with us in the, on the PNC side, property and casualty, our clients, you know, when dealing with whether it's work comp or any liability product, we tell them, look, you know, you have the insurance policy, but the insurance company is still counting on you, relying on you, and actually warranting that you are taking the necessary steps to make sure it doesn't get to them. The loss doesn't get to them. You know, you have to stop the loss before it gets to the insurance company. You know, obviously you have the insurance as a, to back you and to protect you in the end if it does get there, but that doesn't mean that you can just, you know, go out and do whatever you do without really taking any precaution. So that's a great point that you bring that up in terms of your ARM class and not speaking about insurance because insurance really sits behind everything. Yeah. You know, loss control and risk management has to be upfront and that's where people have to focus their efforts uh, to make sure that they have a safe company, a safe business, and they're running it properly. What's your process of evaluating loss control? And, and it, you know, what type of policies do you implement for your clients? This comes down to probably two, two key points. And uh, I think it, it could vary depending on who you interview. But the way that I like to look at, at how to do an initial analysis are two issues. One is the, uh, what we call leading indicators and the other is trailing indicators. And there's two, there's two uh, parts of, of each of those. But firstly, let's talk about trailing indicators, which is mostly what we look at when we're doing an analysis. And trailing indicators are things like lo losses that have occurred. So you're looking back three to five years of all these things that have happened at an organization. And, and everyone on this uh, that's listening in can, could go back and look at this. We call these trailing indicators. These are things that have already happened. Maybe they're just not losses, but uh, their results, their near misses or otherwise. So all this stuff about trailing right. indicators, that's one area that we look at to do a, an initial analysis. The second part would be called leading indicators. What's the stuff that's like sort of, if you were to take a balance sheet, that's what's happening right now in your organization. And that's that, those are things that you are sort of looking at in present time, not past, but present. So things like a safety perception survey or a culture survey where you're like checking the heat of what's going on in the minds of, of people working, um, doing things with, uh, you know, testing, maybe you're doing a survey of employees. It could be even HR survey. You know, what are your thoughts on the culture of the company? Uh, what do you think of our values here? So there's, there's both leading and trailing, and that's, that's probably the most principal area that you're going to be looking at um, from, a, you know, from, a loss, uh, from a loss analysis perspective. There are other things that, um, you know, there's policies, et cetera, that you look at sure. from, a, from a leading and a trailing perspective. There's training records. There's, you know, what policies are in place. There are four key policies that are required in all programs. That's called in, uh, in California, the Injury and Illness Prevention Plan, HASCOM Plan, Emergency Action Plan, and a Fire Prevention Plan. Those four plans sort of 
give you a, a good idea on how an organization is, is sort of set up. So that's an analysis that you do. And then you look at the training records. Are they, are they doing what they say in their policies and procedures, no matter what they are? So that's a little bit of, of what we look for when we're doing it, sort of an analysis of loss control. So is that uh, typically, as far as part of your suite of services, speaking in, in, in your profession, I mean, you must have like some sort of standardized audit you conduct by industry that you do kind of check the boxes, so to speak? I think it's a great point, Ray. I think that most, uh, most people in loss control would be looking for uh, key loss data as, as far as trailing. I think the challenge comes up though, is if it, if it stays really simple. And I think that's, that's a, that's a, uh, I'm trying to think of the term. That's a barrier for many people that, that are in the, we might consider the loss control field. Even experienced loss control people don't go in depth with a loss analysis. And, and I'll name off a couple things that I'm sure the two of you have seen and, and would think about because uh, you're, you're insurance pros uh, and many people in loss control don't think of the insurance side, but you have to think of both. And that is, so it's, it's fine to look at, you've had strains and sprains or back injuries or upper extremity injuries or losses that have occurred, you know, in a particular area of an organization like general liability losses, where a lot of people have slipped and fallen, you know, in a, in a concrete pothole out in the, out in the parking area. But there are other factors that go a lot deeper and it could be the time of day it could be the day of the week. It could be the time of the year. It could be the age of the person. It could be how long they've been with the company, right? Uh, new hire versus somebody right. who's been there 10 years. These are all factors that you've got to dig and you got to get to that stuff to be able to give a really good analysis. And, and if you determine that you know, 70% of all of an organization's losses are occurring to employees that have, have been on the job for 60 days or less. And it's a long-term sort of employee company, meaning that they don't have a lot of turnover. You'd wanna look at new hire programs. You'd wanna look sure. at how they're handling things. What are they doing in their uh, advertising for employees? Uh, so that's the kind of right. stuff that goes into an in-depth analysis of, of a loss control program. Hope that helps. It does. Steve, let me ask you this. And this is something that I, I, I tend to look at very closely. How much do you think company culture or company morale, you know, the morale of the team, the morale of the staff and the employees plays into losses? And I know that's a, that's a really generic question, but, and there could be so many different types of losses, but, you know, employee related injuries or, you know, injuries on the, on the job. How much do you think, the company, the company culture plays into that. It's a great point. And I think you're right on target because in the 19, in the 1960s, late sixties, when Nixon signed the OSHA bill, basically, you know, putting OSHA in place, yep. probably 80%, maybe 90% of the work focused was on inspections of physical hazards and it was all about machines that weren't guarded. You probably have seen yeah. these pictures from old equipment or maybe even some companies today, but you saw these open chains and, and unsafe, <clears throat> you know, unsafe environments. And then what do you see, <clears throat> excuse me, over the years, just this continuous improvement of all of this equipment. Right. And I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head. You're looking at behavior. You're looking at uh, the culture of an organization and the impact of that because 
because what are you doing? You're now getting the equipment right. You're now having all these safety things. Now, if you don't put those things into place, that's another thing, right? If you don't put the right safety equipment in or it comes from, uh, there's a lot of equipment that comes from overseas that doesn't have safety equipment on it. You know, it doesn't have safety guards on it. You have to actually, you know, fix that. And we'll go to clients frequently and they'll say, well, it came this way from the company that made it. Well, guess what? That company is not from the United States and it does not have the proper safeguards for that. Yeah. So, but yeah. that's that's just part of it. I think I think you've hit something really important about the importance of culture and the importance of uh, how employees get along and how those yeah. unspoken leaders are, you know, taking employees through uh, through their experiences at work. And I would say that I've had some pretty interesting experiences over the years. But I had a I had a car dealer that had many locations and one of the young guys was working under the car uh, on a lift and he had forgot to put one of the safety um, devices on and that lift came down and the car dropped down and the manager watched this happen. It happened to just see it happen out of his window and he ran over to the car and he thought that this young man had been killed. Luckily he had gotten out from that car. Now what happened then is, is that manager and that employee then went around to all the other locations and shared that story. Mm-hmm. And every time the manager shared that story, I mean, he broke down in tears. Tough, you know, a tough military, former military guy. And he said when he saw his guy nearly get killed, he realized, you know, the importance of, of safety. And, of course, that guy had a couple of kids and he shared his story. Those kinds wow. of things can change, can change something in someone's mind. Right. So I think when you talk about culture and about sharing, having a vision and an organization, those kinds of things, you know, that you can't take them lightly. They mean something. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. And to the contrary, you know, you could see, you know, you, you see trends in, you know, you see an employee get hurt and go out and work comp. Then all of a sudden you see an employer have one after the next, after the next. Yeah. And you just start to wonder like what spreads negatively within a, an organization also. Uh, Ray, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt there. No, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we're talking about safety. So, I mean, that's a yeah. great segue to our next question, which, I mean, Mike, you want to take that? Yeah. You know, we're just, we're wondering, you know, we talked about loss control, but also, you know, we're wondering about workplace safety. You know, what is workplace safety? Why is it important? And what types of things do you guys provide to your clients to aid in proper workplace safety and things like that? I think workplace safety differentiates itself from from loss control in a couple of ways. But I would I would summarize by saying that workplace safety is is more of a um, it's the work environment of an organization and how it relates to safety, health, and well well being. I think those three factors are probably the the most important when it comes to what we would consider workplace safety. And uh, I think that probably is a little bit different when you're looking at loss control, which has to do with finance and has to do with insurance and has to do with, you know, tabulating losses and all of that. I think at the at the end of the day, when you're when you're looking at workplace safety again, I'll repeat it, and then it comes down to the safety, health, and well-being of its workforce. Those are kind of the differences that I that I see, and not everybody would agree with that, but that's how that's how I view the differences between that. And then if you want to touch on some of the uh, 
information or some what type of help you guys provide your clients to yeah, because for proper workplace safety? Yeah, because I mean, in, in our market here, we, I mean, I, I know in conversations I've had with Mike when he's dealing with uh, a, a client in their workers' comp and you know, whatnot, typically one thing they ask for is do they have a safety uh, manual or program that uh, they've implemented. So yeah, I'm sure those manual, are some safety of, training, things of that nature. Exactly. So I'm sure those some of some of the tools you use and utilize, audits, et cetera. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, it's it's a good question. And that is what what goes into, you know, determining whether there is a strong workplace safety program. <clears throat> I actually like to start at the beginning of an organization, take a look at their hiring practices. Hmm. And there's a couple things that go into that. First of all, if 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 a company puts it, let's say that's a hazardous company like construction or otherwise or warehousing or where there could be, you know, the chance of somebody getting hurt. And they put an ad in the, you know, in the, in their local online, you know, for, for an employee to come to work for them. And they were to say something like in that ad, hey, we value safety at this organization. Don't think about applying here unless you feel the same way. Now, that sort of starts the process even before somebody comes in the door. Right. And then when they and then when they come to the door and you interview them, you ask them a question like, what was safety like at your last job? So you're setting the tone of, of your organization. So when I go in and do an analysis uh, at a company, I'm going all the way to the beginning. I'm asking them what their hiring practices are. I'm taking a look at what their, do they have a buddy system? You know, when the guy comes on, uh, does, he, does he work with a more senior guy, you know, for a little while to learn the safety, safety ropes? That's the kind of stuff that you, you look for. And then there's the standard stuff. And Ray, I think you you mentioned it a little bit earlier, and that'd be like doing sort of some standard audits that yep. might take place. Uh, and that looks at everything from, you know, the history of their of their injuries down to their policies and procedures. Are they doing things like uh, a job safety analysis, which is where they have a set of instructions for each task? So if a guy is going to, you know, cut uh, cut a particular uh, lumber. They're set. They're doing framing, or they're doing. Uh, they're doing forms for uh, concrete. You know, do they use a table to cut those boards, or do they put the board across their leg and use a skill saw? You know, uh, on the ground because it's quicker and more efficient. So, in the audit or the walkthrough, you're looking for both behaviors and physical uh, sort of hazards that might be going on. And then from that perspective, uh, it's a matter of, of, of providing some sort of guidance and recommendations. I think we'll probably yeah. talk about that in a little bit. Right. But the one thing that Cal OSHA or OSHA, for those, for those listeners that are outside of California, is they're looking, your policies and procedures uh, is your written word. And it's, it, it, although it may comply with the government standard, if you were to say put in there, we do safety inspections every week. Well, that would mean you'd have to have 52 inspections in that when the right. OSHA were to come out. Right. Now, if you say we do them monthly, then you'd have to have 12 of them in there. Correct. If you have 11, that's a citation. If you have wow. less than the 52 okay. and you only have 50, that's a citation. Wow. So that's, when you okay. write... 
Yeah, when you when when companies write policies and procedures and we go and evaluate them, that's the first question we ask is, did you just copy this template from some organization and right. you're just making it yours? And do you have everything in here to back it up? And if you don't, just change the policy. Now, granted, there are certain industries you have to do certain things, of course. But sure. at the end, yeah. but you know, yeah. you don't want to have something that that you can't back up because it's your written word. And if you feel as an organization you can't accomplish that, don't write it down because that's yeah. in the end, right? So that's part yeah. of the process. We look at we evaluate that and how well a policy is actually being implemented versus just the written policy. So it's good to have it, but how does it apply? Is it living and breathing? Is does it have a lot of dust on that policy in the shelf or hasn't been opened on your digital format? You know, hasn't been updated in three years. <laughs> Uh, they're going to be looking for stuff like that when you, uh, from a safety workplace. We look for that and OSHA and other groups look for that. And I mean, insurance companies, by the way, you, you, yeah. you both well know oh, yeah. that an insurance company will give credits and I'll, I'll let you guys explain that better yeah. than I can uh, for, for companies that have good safety programs and, and have uh, things in place and sort of vet out well uh, f- from an organizational perspective. So I, maybe you can, tell us what that means from credits because I, I, I would I would leave that to the experts on that. No, you're right on. I mean, insurance companies, they want to, you know, they want to price policies better for people that they don't think are as much of a risk. And if you have proper procedures in place and you have safety protocols and everything that you spoke about, uh, they're going to give you a better premium. I mean, and if your record proves it, you're going to get even a better premium. So, yeah, you're right. Credits are available. And before, Ray, you asked the question that you're about to ask, I just want to ask you one quick question. When you talk about citations from OSHA, are those monetary citations? Like are, are people getting penalized and have to pay fines? Or are you just talking about, you know, here's a warning and don't let it happen again? Wow. That would be nice if it was a warning. Don't let it happen again. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Uh, there, there are two there are two. I would say there's one devastating part of, of OSHA that uh, that is very, uh, very rarely revealed. And I'll get to that in a moment. I want to build up to that. Uh, yes, the the financial consequences are are there and they can vary everywhere from a few hundred dollars, depending on, on your appeal process, because you want to appeal everything. Yeah. Uh, never yeah. accept what they give you. Always appeal. Uh, to th- tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, really? So you have to be aware wow. of that. But I would say the most devastating part is that even if it turns out to be that you actually win, let's say that <clears throat> they may, they was a citation and you yep. end up paying zero dollars, it's essentially on your record yep. for public knowledge for life. You yep. will not get it off the public database. Oh, man. So any insurance company, yeah. Uh, if you're if you're a constru- if you're in construction as a as a subcontractor or contractor and your contractor is looking at you as a sub, all they have to do is go to the OSHA citation page and there you are. Now, if you've changed your name, yep. if you've operated a little differently, uh, that's a way to sort of you know that might not reveal itself immediately, but uh, if it's you dig deep enough, you're going to find it. Yeah. It, yeah. But most of the times, someone that's in my field, there's a, a forensic search that we do from an OSHA uh, citation perspective, uh, whether we search by address or we search by uh, corporate codes or otherwise. 
So we will find that if it's there, and I know from our work working with insurance companies, that's our job is to let the underwriters know about this company. Yeah. So it may be hidden uh, in, for some folks and at some particular periods of time, but uh, it's just something to be very aware of. And I think I think that goes in conjunction with what we call an XMOD. I'll yep. let you guys explain that. But from an OSHA perspective, in California and a number of other states, if your XMOD is of what we consider high hazard, which in California it's 1.25, and I'll, I'll let you guys explain what that means, um, the that brings on extra fines, and it also puts you in a box of called high hazard where you could have an inspection just because you have a bad history. You're on their radar now. Exactly. So I hope that explains the sort of outcomes of what can occur. It's mostly financial, but there's also the social media, if you want to call it that, or the, the, um, you know, the impact to your good name, to your brand uh, as an organization seeing that stuff on there. So. Yeah, I'll, I'll record a video separately and explain the experience modifier to the audience. Look Great. out for me coming to a screen near you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're touching on regulatory compliance here and uh, the OSHA compliance, Cal OSHA. I mean, that's obviously by the sounds of it, it's, it could impact the bottom line and potentially depending on your company, sink the ship, so to speak. So. I mean, from what I'm hearing, you're a wealth of knowledge in that arena, but how involved do you get if OSHA comes knocking at someone's door and they want, I mean, what are they commonly looking for typically when they're trying to conduct their audit and how do you get involved in that? Uh, well, that, so OSHA has published its procedure online and what they do. And uh, every every organization can take a look at this to see, well, what are they going to do when they come out? Well, it's one thing to be able to just, you know, to take a look at what OSHA is going to do. It's another thing to be able to be prepared for that. You know, do you, if you train your supervisors on how to answer questions, uh, OSHA has little, you know, peculiarities that they like to have uh, in place. So for instance, they might go up to an employee and say, tell us about safety here and what policies are in place. And if the employee doesn't use the term IIPP or injury and illness prevention plan, and they say, well, our workplace safety plan, well, that's a knock. That's a potential citation because the employee didn't use the terminology that's necessary for OSHA. They didn't say IIPP. They said workplace safety. Now there are OSHA inspectors who will say, hey, they guy got it. It's okay. Yeah, right. But sure. there's others, right? It's personality-wise. You <laughs> has anyone ever received a ticket uh, before uh, being pulled over? I'm sure you guys have never gotten a ticket, or none of our audience has received a ticket. But there might be some police who would actually issue the ticket, and there might be others that might just say, "Hey, right. Ray, Mike, you guys, you know, just take it easy next time." Uh, that can happen in OSHA also. But I, I would have to say that. Coming back to that sort of that question about, you know, what's it going to be like when OSHA comes out and what are the things that we look like? We follow what we do is called a mock OSHA visit. And that mock OSHA visit now, of course, includes Mm. COVID, uh, which is totally different. You know, I mean, you've got to check a lot of different things for COVID. But the mock OSHA visit 
essentially goes down the checklist. We interview employees. We make sure that all the things that OSHA would be looking for, and we can't guarantee it, of course, because an OSHA, an OSHA guy will come out and all of a sudden there'll be something new that's passed or there'll be some other issue that they have, you know, attached onto, or they have a specialty in a particular field like machine guarding or lockout tagout, and they know how to look at these things in a much different way. So I think from an OSHA perspective, our job is to go in and take a look at the, uh, the issues that are gonna be most impactful. OSHA has a listing of the 10 top citations on their pages. <clears throat> and unfortunately, construction is one of those yeah. groups that always gets it. And the, they list the things that hurt, harm and hurt people the most, you know, things like falls. Ladders, cause right? Of, yeah, falls from ladders, falls yeah. from elevations. Uh, the leading cause of death in the United States in the workplace is driving. Yeah. That is the leading cause of death. Yeah. And then that's followed by falls from elevation and, and all, you know, it just, it just falls in line after that. So they're going to be looking at the things that are going to end up, you know, killing or maiming or hurting people in some, in some way. And that's where they're going to spend their time generally focusing. Policies and procedures, number one, do you have these things in place? Your OSHA record, how many incidents have you had over the last five years? And then they're going to take a look at your actual things that are going on in the physical job site. It's kind of how it works. Yeah. And, and one thing I wanted to add to that, and I'm curious myself, I mean, on, on the surface, it seems obvious, but in, because of COVID, typically construction and those high risk industries are the ones that OSHA is monitoring and tracking because that, they have obviously the potential of hurting people. But now with COVID, I mean, you're thinking that the typically the industries that were low risk, like just taking office employees, for example, now ever is OSHA looking at that? Because obviously, depending on if, especially now with the shelter at home in place, if you're in office and you're not abiding or being cautious at the office, would you say that that's something that, you know, those type of industries would you need to be worried about from, um, from a compliance standpoint? This goes back to something Mike said earlier, and that was about culture. And if you have a workforce, I, I think from an office, to address your question directly, no, I don't think OSHA is going to be spending a lot of time going into empty offices, which many are right now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Looking for these hazards. They're probably going to go to restaurants and supermarkets. I know they've targeted... I know in LA, they went after uh, one of the large supermarket chains, and this is where they're going to spend their time. However, going back to Mike's comment about culture, if you have a disgruntled employee or someone in the office that's coming in, even let's say they're at 10% of the, let's say it's a 200 person office and there's only 20 people there, and they saw somebody not wearing their mask or they saw somebody not cleaning or whatever, they could call OSHA and file a complaint and OSHA would come out. So I think you've got to deal with that issue. And there are people who have genuine fears about coming to work. And there are people who have genuine fears about a COVID. Uh, I don't want to, to minimize those fears that people have because they are, they are real. Uh, they're not imagined. They're real for them. And so if they call OSHA and all the postings, of course, are, you know, if you see somebody without a mask, call public health. If you see this, call OSHA. So I think that's where you'd run into that, Ray, into yeah. those kinds of circumstances, more so in an office where you'd have maybe some disgruntled because people, you're right, are working from home. 
they're remote and they're not included in these pandemic or these WCCP plans. All remote workers are yeah. not part of it. Hmm. Right. So good point, Ray. Thank you. So Steve, I just want to ask you another question. So, you know, we talk a lot about the high hazard industries, you know, construction, manufacturing, hospitality in some cases, but what's for the audience, where do you, where do you think the surprises may come from? What industries have, particular risk that people don't think about. You talked about driving, which is a great point because I'm constantly talking to my cl clients and trying to explain to them that, you know, just because you're in property management or you have outside salespeople that go out and, you know, meet your clients and sell, that's all they do. There's still a, there's still a risk involved with them being on the road all day and every day. I mean, that's huge. That's a tremendous risk. So, but what would you say people might be surprised in what industries or in what types of businesses where you see more injuries or more hazard than people might think. Yeah, I wish more people asked this question. Uh, I wish they really would. Let's take some environments that people would not consider costly from a work comp perspective or an injury perspective. And let's take the office environment for a moment. Ergonomics, when you have somebody that has carpal tunnel or neck problem or shoulder problem, those are, those are, you know, those are easily in California, a 30, 40, $50,000 case, yep. uh, easily. Uh, a easily. surgery, you know, an, a surgery for, you know, for carpal tunnel or neck or something like that can, can put you into those numbers pretty easily. And that's then counting the time away from work and the modifications and all that goes into it. So I would say that if you were to look at the most surprising industry uh, that might be one of them that people don't suspect. And I will go on to say that I think companies have to be even more aware now because, okay, it's temporary. People are working from home, but we're talking about, what, eight months now? I don't know yeah. when this will broadcast, but it could be a year that people have been working yeah. from home. And, and you don't know uh, what they're doing at home. You don't know how they're sitting. And what The challenge, yeah, we've been talking with so many of our clients where employees have gone home and they're not doing anything for them. This is not a knock on them. They just are trying to wait it out. Right. And get to the point where people are going to come back and figure out how to make that work uh, for them. So we do, of course, our remote ergonomic assessments. We've been doing them since 2009. We don't have to come on site. We do everything remote. There's an online self-assessment tool that people do. Um, and uh, you've got to have that kind of option for people of where to go with vetted information. We've got an online resource center that employees, you know, companies have. We have a number of clients that, that <clears throat> excuse yeah. me, buy that service. But I think that's an area that's of concern and probably doesn't get looked at. No, yeah, and I, great point. And I think, Mike, you brought up the, the, the one that we ask a lot about, and that is the driver, the drivers who are driving just to drop something off at the store or those marketing employees who go to an event yep. or anything of that nature where they're not even driving a company car. Right. So they haven't, <clears throat> they haven't done a, excuse me, <clears throat> they haven't done a motor vehicle records check. They haven't asked them for a copy of their certificate of insurance. And then something occurs. And not only do you have a work comp issue, but you could potentially have an auto claim issue, depending on if you're a deep Major. pockets company, right? Major. Yeah. Non-ownership so, liability. I mean, it's huge. Exactly. So I think those two areas are probably the ones that 
that companies get the most, um, they, they, they doubt us the most yeah. on when we bring them up. And then of course, there's all sorts of other small industries, uh, like there's been some changes in the lead standard and you could be talking mm -hmm. to guys that are plumbers or even electricians that are dealing with, um, you know, uh, dealing with lead in their job um, and they don't, they don't realize it, or there've been other standards that have come out, you know, relating to concrete or guys that do work in, you know, in certain fields of work that these standards come out. And then because they're not uh, directly involved with that, but they're exposed to it on a job site, uh, there's issues that, you know, will, will come up there. Um, so that's, that's probably things where companies are exposed to other workers on a site and say, well, we don't work, we don't work with that product. Uh, well, yeah, but it's around there and we have to yeah. be aware of that. So I'd, I'd say those things probably are the more common. Yeah. So to all my clients that are listening and always complain about paying work comp because you think your employee is going to get a paper cut in the office, <laughs> what can happen? They can only get a paper cut. <laughs> no, you heard what Steve said, ergonomic issues, backs, carpal tunnel, necks, sitting all day. Those are true. And 50,000 in California, what Steve said, that's that's light. I mean, you're looking at, if you have to get surgery in your back, you're looking yeah. at a hundred grand easy. So that's why work comp costs money. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you know, Mike, the, the issue, the I've issue for years, man, I was going to say the <laughs> issue, Mike, for, for people who work in the office, uh, insurance companies don't collect the premium dollars because no, they don't. The, the risk is low Right. And so therefore you, you end up uh, with your X mod uh, potential X mod yes. problem, or, or you're just facing uh, a terrible loss ratio, which yep. I'll, I'll let you explain in the X mod, you're facing a terrible loss ratio where your injuries have sure exceeded your, uh, oh. your premium costs. And then you go to oh. renew or you go out to market for a new policy. And then somebody says, well, why did you have these two, uh, you know, losses? Yeah, or why is your mod two eighty or right three hundred? So good points to yeah. be aware of uh, in the industry, and then there's all sorts of specialty industries like the hotel and hospitality yeah. industry with specialized programs. They call it the musculoskeletal injury and illness prevention plan, the MIPP. Little things you've got to watch for um, in in industries where things can jump out at you uh, and the types of uh, incidents that can occur. All right. What else you got for me, guys? I oh, mean, I think we covered a lot. Uh, yeah. Or most of what we wanted to ask you. We appreciate your knowledge and your wealth of insight, Steve. Going away here, if we can give you one last thing to tell our audience or something that we can do to uh, a way that we can support our audience or support our companies by using your knowledge or your, your expertise, what would you tell them? Hmm. Well, that's a great that's a great close, and I would I would have to say that uh, if if you have a safety and health program in your organization, um, you want to bring employees along to a place where they become safety leaders. If you can talk to your supervisors, provide training, education, knowledge, those types of things, where they become a safety leader, and from a safety perspective, their primary purpose is to save lives, prevent injuries and illnesses, and protect the clients from to protect their companies from harm. And you instill that 
uh, from a from a employee perspective, I think the grassroots piece will be stronger than in an organization that's just sort of top down. Right. So if you can create safety leaders at different levels of an organization through training, education, I think that probably is one of the the, the strongest ways to improve a program. That's that's, awesome. that's my thoughts. Given the that that sort of quick thought on that. That's great. Perfect. Love and, it. And Steve, yeah. for our audience, um, if they need your help, or businesses out there need your help in all the various aspects that we talked about today, how, how do they get a hold of you? Yeah, easy to find us, aspenrmg.com, which stands for Risk Management Group. We've been around 16 years, or ergohealthy.com. That's our focused company, uh, separate from our, our Aspen. And uh, we, we work with uh, companies throughout California and the United States on helping them improve their risk programs. Perfect. Appreciate and last thing, what size yeah. companies do you think need you the most? Oh, yeah. Great question. Wow. That's, you know, that's, that's really, uh, well, when we started off, it was our focus was small business because we really felt that they were underserved. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and it, and it really became a challenge. And when I small, and when I say small business, those that are, that are less than perhaps 50 employees. And, uh, and then you, you'll see this on our site, but we wrote a book about it a number of years ago when we started the company, Workplace Safety Guide for Small and Mid-Sized Companies. And so our focus tended to be on those small and mid-sized companies, maybe up to five or 600 employees. But over the years, as we've become much more expert in our work, we get calls from some of the largest companies in California to come in and do a specialty project. Could be a large construction company looking to do a project for them. We just finished up at a major airport where we did something called JSAs for 80 types of work uh, wow. jobs that they do there. Wow. Uh, so I think wow, as 80 types got, of jobs. Woo. Yeah. Well, if you take yeah, electricians you take, right. and carpenters and machinists and air traffic guys, and yeah, this, and the there's a lot of jobs. Yeah. yeah. Everything. All within. sorts of jobs at an airport. So I think, I think we started off one way. But we certainly now cover the gambit where we're doing uh, nationwide companies. One of our largest companies where we do remote ergonomics is a, is a nationwide tech company uh, based uh, all across the world. And we do those ergo assessments everywhere where they speak English. Um, so cool. it's changed for us over the years. We're still local. We still work with uh, you know, the, the five employee yogurt shop. Uh, but at the same time, we're taking on the multinational where necessary, uh, where, where our team is able to work. That's awesome. Well, congrats, Perfect. Steve, on your success. And again, Ray and I are very thankful for your time. Yes. Uh, we're thankful for the information you shared with us and our, our audience. And uh, we wish you continued health, continued success. Happy holidays. Yeah. Thank you very much, guys. Have a good one. God bless. Thanks. You too. Thank you, Steve. Thank Bye. you, Steve. Thank you again for watching another episode of the Insurance House. Steve, thank you so much for taking the time uh, during what's a busy time of the year for you to join us and share your expertise with our audience. Remember, everyone, please visit Steve on LinkedIn. Uh, his information here is we provided on this show. You can reach out to him if you need any help with your company workplace or loss uh, control. And remember to watch and uh, follow us on social media. Ray and I are happy to have you on board and look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you guys. Happy holidays to you. Merry Christmas.